You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. What's up, everybody, and welcome to episode 112 of the Talking Chop Podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland, on this fine Mother's Day. It's actually going to be a solo version of the podcast. Uh, I should probably not even need to ex- uh, explain everything uh, in terms of why I'm by myself today, because it is Mother's Day, and frankly, I didn't have a ton of windows in which to work with today in terms of to record the podcast, as well as the fact that we reached out to a few guests, everybody was doing Mother's Day activities, and that's just kind of the name of the game here, as well as the fact that uh, the, the uh, Braves are going to be in action on Monday afternoon, so uh, that sort of... Uh, paved the way to a, a must-record must day of Sunday. I was not going to be able to wait and do it on Monday because of the early start time against the Cubs in Chicago on Monday. So here we are for the podcast. Probably a little bit uh, shorter than normal just because it's just me on the pod, but I do have a, a bunch of mailbag questions to get through as well as the fact uh, to just address the fact that the Braves are very, very good at baseball right now. So we'll start there. The uh, Braves finished up a four-game series in Miami on Sunday with a victory. They won three of four in Miami, and now they've won five of six. This is since the last time I recorded the podcast after a sort a sort of brief two-game sweep in uh, sweeping in quotation marks uh, down in Tampa Bay. Um, a very As I mentioned before, the, uh, the Braves have a very, very weird uh, game now in Chicago on Monday afternoon to make up a rain out early in the season and the two teams get on a plane and then come back to Atlanta to begin a series that was previously scheduled at SunTrust Park beating on Tuesday. So that's sort of the setup um, for right now of what's transpiring. The Braves, as I record this on Sunday afternoon, are 24-15 and 15, and uh, before the Sunday night game that pits the, uh, the Diamondbacks against the Washington Nationals, Arizona has the best record in the league uh, aside from Atlanta right now, but if the D-backs were to lose to the Nats on Sunday evening, the Braves would begin Monday with the NL's best record after 39 games, which is you know almost a quarter of the season. That's a pretty wild thing to consider, considering the expectations coming into the year. Uh, you know, you might remember that I picked them for 77 wins, and I was probably a little bit higher, honestly, than a lot of projection systems were. Uh, pretty funny to uh, go back and look at uh, even talk, the talking chop projections before the season. Even people that were accused of being too rosy were somewhere in the 80 win range, and uh, the Braves are obviously well on their way to that kind of performance, unless the bottom falls out in the future. But uh, they've been uh, obviously, you know, zooming past expectations early on in the season, and the 24-15 record is good for the best mark in the NL right now. Always tied with Arizona. They could they could be second best if the D-backs won Sunday night, but if they lose, uh, sole possession of the best record in the, in the National League in mid-May is pretty crazy to consider. But that's where we are with the Braves right now. Uh, I mentioned before the projection systems um, but before the season were not terribly high on the Braves in a lot of ways. It was pretty easy to see why. And uh, even even now, uh, most of them are still giving the Braves a sub 50% chance to make the playoffs at this point in time. And that's because a lot of the preseason stuff is still baked in there. You don't want to make too much assumptions, sorry, too many assumptions on the uh, first quarter of the season. But at the same time, the deeper you get here, the more uh, it becomes a real possibility that the Braves could make a run to the playoffs. Obviously, even if you think that this is probably a true 500 level team or somewhere 
in there. Uh, being nine games over 500 right now means that a 500 mark the rest of the way will put the Braves in sort of that 85-86 win range. That might not be good enough for the playoffs, but it'd be sort of fringe contention to be sure in the second wild card spot. And if, they, if they're sort of hanging around that range, you, got, you could also see Alex Anthopoulos go out and add a little bit to this roster instead of what we all assume would probably be another selling job at the deadline. They could be buying at this point considering uh, where they are in the pecking order. So um, that could be good enough, again, for second wild card um, sort of consideration. And then obviously as, as well, there is a potential that this, that this, that this Braves team is just better then 500 at this point in time, just looking forward. I think uh, the offense is going to regress a little bit. They've been fantastic early on, but there have been some pitchers that maybe not, maybe have not performed over their heads. You know, Tyler Flowers has struggled. There's some, there's some, place, some places here in the lineup and in the pitching staff that could improve. Uh, maybe not, obviously, balancing out to the point where I would not project this team to finish uh, every quarter with 24 wins. That would be a very, very impressive uh, mark for the Braves over a full season. But at the same time, like this is a team that could just be better than the 500 team that, yeah, that they might actually project to be at this point in at this point moving forward and uh, every couple of days I've been tweeting out um, from, from my personal account on Twitter at BT Roland uh, just sort of the projections and their updated odds to make the playoffs whether it be, whether, whether that be the good, the good people over at Fangraphs or uh, at 538 or uh, Baseball Prospectus some of the uh, leading minds and uh, you know it's definitely all data driven so uh, take it with a grain of salt at this point in time especially with, with a team like the Braves who are so young and relying on a lot of guys who are unproven but at the same time um, some um, as you can see sort of the ebb and flow there when the Braves lost a couple games in a row. It sort of tanked, and now that they've won several in a row, it's going to be interesting to see what, the, what they reset as on Monday. I think it might be trending towards 50-50 in a lot of spots, which is very, very impressive, uh, and obviously that start speaks for itself. Uh, moving forward, uh, one other thing I wanted to get to uh, before we get into, into the mailbag questions, and that's Sean Newcomb, who was fantastic again on Sunday. He threw Six innings of shutout ball has now has now thrown a career high twenty straight scoreless innings for the Braves, allowing just six hits and eight walks over that point in time. So, uh, fourteen base runners in twenty innings is fantastic. Also has, tri- has twenty strikeouts in those twenty innings and a one point seven zero ERA over the last seven starts for Newcomb, which obviously uh, stretches far beyond that twenty game that twenty inning sample. Got a lot of questions about Newcomb whether this is going to be sustainable moving forward. Uh, I, th- I don't think the ones the one point seven ERA is going to be sustainable. That probably speaks for itself in a lot of ways. And you know his overall ERA right now is 2.51. That feels like it's a little bit low, frankly, based on what he actually has been even peripheralized at this point. But at the same time, um, I, you know the walk rate is the always the thing to consider with Newcomb. A 4.24 per nine walk rate is not good by anybody's uh, sort of normal standards, but for Newcomb, that's probably closer to acceptable than for most. Uh, and I've actually often argued that he can, that he actually can be a functional starting pitcher that's pretty good even when he walks about four per nine. The danger zone though is when he's walking, you know five per nine or more, which is where he's been at, at times in the past. That's where you just absolutely cannot live. And frankly, he's been a little bit lucky to this point uh, to post the ERA that he has with a 4.24 walk rate. But at the same time, you know, his strikeout numbers are very impressive. He's striking out more than 10 per nine, and he has a, a about a 50, 50% ground ball rate for the season. If he can do that, uh, that sort of uh, at least somewhat mitigates the fact that his walk rate is uh, still too high by uh, any sort of rational standard. And I think, you know, whether it's sustainable overall, you know, as I mentioned before, the 2.51 ERA does feel low with his peripherals and even where he sits now with all the strikeouts and the ground balls. Um, in the same breath, I think he's definitely capable of a of an ERA in the threes if he's this kind of pitcher moving forward, and that'd be awesome. Uh, you know, it's it's tough to uh, get away from the comparisons between Newcomb and Anderton Simmons, who's been fantastic, uh, basically been a full-fledged superstar since arriving in Los Angeles. He's actually smashing the ball right now offensively, and we all, we all know what he, what he can do de- defensively, but if Newcomb is uh, going to be a solid, you know, mid 
mid to high end um, pitcher uh, for the Braves that would certainly mitigate all of the uh, disaster potential of that trade and the fact that you know Newcomb's under contract for a long time is very very young and uh, there's a real upside in, to, in his makeup if the walks get straightened out in the future. So a pretty awesome stretch here from Newcomb. Tw- again, 20 scoreless innings in a row, nothing to sneeze at. Uh, you know you could probably nitpick him a little bit on terms of uh, just being able to go deeper in games, but he's been navigating six innings pretty frequently here, so that's probably good. A probably good place to start for Newcomb, and he's been fantastic in the early going of the season. Uh, moving, a full, moving on from there, uh, the rest of the show is going to basically be a lot of mailbag stuff, so uh, that, yeah, it's probably the best way to get through a solo episode, so forgive me there, but a lot of, a lot of good questions that we got, and we'll just roll through them here on, on a one-at-a-time basis. The first one comes from Adam on Twitter, and he asks, so how clear is it that Dan Winkler is better than Orioles Vizcaino? Uh, and uh, the second question of here is that it, basically he's asking, does Brian Snicker know this information? Uh as for Winkler, we've not done a good job, and that's, that's my fault talking about him on the podcast so far this season. But uh, in 17.2 innings this season, Dan Winkler has a 25 strikeout to 5 walk ratio with a 1.02 ERA and a 1.34 FIP. Um, that is obviously, you know, lights out, ridiculous, fantastic. And uh, he's obviously going to cool off to some degree here because nobody pitches that well except for, you know, maybe super prime Craig Kimball. He's not going to be that, I don't think, but I think he, he appears to be very legit. The, peripheral, the peripherals are real. He was good last year. I think Winkler is going to be a, a solid end of uh, end of game sort of relief option, and that's pretty awesome to uncover here. As for Vizcaino, as for Vizcaino. Um, when he's good, he looks very good. That's something that we have to point out. But his 4.82 walks per nine ratio this season is not very uh, not very good. Not going to be uh, very sustainable for him to be good so far this year. He actually has been pretty darn lucky and actually has, uh, I think people would be surprised by this, has a sub-2 ERA at this point in time, although he has a FIP north of 4.00. So uh, it's one of those things where uh, he clearly hasn't been as good as his ERA, whereas Winkler actually might, um, almost has been as good as that 1.02 ERA this season. I don't think uh, Snicker is going to be removing Vizcano from the, from the closer role anytime soon though it would take some blow-ups some actual you know run scoring game losing type of blow-ups for this guy you know to be pulled from the uh closer role just because that's, that's sort of the, the track record of snicker i think he's going to not necessarily be proactive in taking him out of that role in favor of winkler i think we've seen winkler sort of um firmly grabbing that eighth inning role right now you know alongside aj mentor in some ways when, with righty lefty splits and all that fun stuff but i think um at this point in time i think winkler's just a better pitcher than this guy you know but at the same time i don't think this that change is going to be coming and, and of course Mentor would factor in if he could stop walking the park right now. I think he's walking around seven point, around seven guys per nine innings. That's going to be a little bit problematic for AJ Mentor, as good as he's been in a lot of ways. The walks are out of control, but. I think there's also been a lot of talk about the bullpen as an upgrade spot for the Braves uh, in the future, honestly, just because of the fact that the Braves are hanging around the race. We talked about earlier on the podcast, and if they want to buy on the market, um, you know, obviously third base is the point that everybody wants to circle. Um, and with Marquez being awesome in right field, we'll we'll definitely come back to him on, later 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 on this on this podcast. But the obviously the obvious, the obvious points would be. Third base bullpen, I guess maybe starting pitcher. If uh, we'll talk about some more stuff there, but the starting pitcher, starting pitching market. But at the same time, the bullpen um, could be interesting and it could be a pretty easy spot for the Braves to uh, upgrade without getting up without giving up a ton on the farm. You know, Rossiel Iglesias, Brad Hand are two names that I've seen posited around the blogosphere uh, you know, of people that I trust as sort of good ideas of uh, guys who could be available and uh, could be uh, had for a reasonable price in the future. And those guys would make some sense. Also, while we're here, Shane Carl has been out of his mind with a. 
0.81 ERA in 22.1 innings, About and that's actually across 17 appearances, so he's been able to navigate multiple innings a couple of times this season. Like Winkler, he's going to cool off, and probably even more so than Winkler, because his peripherals are not quite as good as Winkler's are, but at the same time, he's been obscenely good, and if Carl continues to be at least reasonably good throughout the season, you have you have uh, Carl, you have Winkler, you have Biscayana, who uh, has been at least reasonably decent, even though that he's you know again he's been pretty lucky, and then you have Mentor. That that um that quartet is pretty interesting in a lot of ways, and and you probably put that against most quartets of uh, quality teams in the uh, in, in the league right now. If you were to uh, sort of line them up, the Braves would look pretty decent there with that quartet of uh, relief pitchers. Next question comes from Terrence on Twitter, and he asks uh, he he says. Ender Enciarte could be coming alive, and if he does, does that make does it make sense to put him back in the leadoff spot full time, or if not full time, maybe against right-handed pitching? Enciarte um, hit fifth on Sunday, which is uh, something that I would never endorse because of his lack of power. But obviously, on cue, he had a home run to make Brian Snicker look brilliant. Uh, as a bit of a sidebar here, I tweeted over the weekend that Brian Snicker is going to win the na- National League Manager of the Year. Uh, a little bit, a little, a little bit of that was tongue in cheek, but I actually am a little bit serious because uh, you know uh, Snicker. A lot of times, does stuff that I don't that I don't necessarily agree with, but he actually has improved to some degree this season, and what I've seen from him in some some ways, probably some ways that are guided more by the front office in a lot of ways. But you know, credit sticker for buying a little bit more on a couple of things the front office is selling, and frankly, it's a narrative award manager of the year. And if the Braves were to somehow make the playoffs or at least come close to making the playoffs, Snickers gonna get a lot of credit for that, for better or worse. And I was uh, you know mostly kidding there, but at the same time, he certainly could win it if the Braves are to win somewhere in the high 80s, and that would be a wild thing to consider. Uh, going back, um, I, 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 don't, I don't want to do too much on the batting order because that's something that I always tw- always tweet about and talk about on the podcast, but NCR to hitting fifth on Sunday was pretty interesting in a lot of ways. But back, back to the question. Enciarte is now up to a 93 WRC plus after his recent power surge and a couple of good games here over the last several days. His OPS is basically back in the 700 range, which is you know not great by any stretch of the imagination. Still a below average hitter so far this season, but he's definitely out of the full out of the full blown doldrums of the early portion of the season, which is nice to see. Uh, we said this repeatedly on the podcast, but at the same time, Enciarte was never going to be as bad as he was early in the season, but. Even at his career norm, he's not really a leadoff hitter that you want. He has a career 340 on-base percentage. That's totally fine in a lot of ways for a hitter, but not necessarily someone you want hitting leadoff in a career 96 WRC+. Plus. That's, you know basically tells you that he's an average-ish, maybe even slightly below average hitter overall. I know he had 200 hits last year. I get all that. I, I get that the more casual um, you know, anti-Saber fan base uh, probably overvalues him a little bit offensively. I totally understand why. His batting average has always been high, and that's a guy who uh, may actually play a little bit better than, than the advanced stats indicate in a lot of ways, but in the same breath, I think you want your best your, your best bats getting more played appearances than anybody else, and even with NCRT running wild on the base path, which is something that's definitely bringing value in a lot of ways. He's been good on the base pass. Um, a couple of uh, ill-advised attempts to try to steal third, um, but uh, aside from that, he's basically been very, very good on the base pass as well. He's always been good at that. So, you know, again, it's not me killing Ender as a hitter. Um, at the same time, I, don't, I still think he's the best option at leadoff, even if Bryce Sicker might disagree eventually. He, has, he does have a career 102 WRC plus and a 346 on base percentage against right handed pitching. Also has a 410 slugging, which is vastly better than his left handed splits as a, um, as a left handed hitter that he is. So I think if, um, if Sicker were, were to say that he's going to hit leadoff uh, full time against right handed pitching, I would not love that move, but it would make a little bit more sense if, at least, if Sicker to acknowledge that NCR should not be hitting left uh, leadoff against lefties. You know, for now, Ozzy's still been there, and I was actually a little, a little bit surprised pleasantly that Snicker did not change that lineup construction over the weekend as Ender started to heat up. He's been raising him up the lineup, but uh, indications are that he might go back to that. You know, Mark Bowman reported that he was actually almost expecting a uh, sort of a, a platoon split in the leadoff spot between Albies 
and Inciarte in the future, and with Ender heating up, it could happen. Him hitting fifth is probably even worse than him hitting leadoff, frankly, because of the power, um, but... It, you know, it's not not necessarily uh, anything crazy in there either. Um, I, I don't think Ender as a leadoff man makes much sense, honestly. Regardless, because of a va- you know, in, even in a vacuum, there are better options there. Um, but at the same time, his current profile for Ozzy Albies, honestly, is not necessarily of a leadoff hitter either. Ozzy's not walking at, really at all, and his obvious percentage is suffering for it. So I think, um, you know, myself included, I've, I've said that Ozzy's a better option than, than Ender, and most of that's because Ozzy's just a better hitter than Ender at this point in time. But in the same breath, you know, you see Ozzy as this, you know, five six speedster. But the way that he's hitting right now, he's actually more of a power bat than this is kind of crazy to say, but he's more of a power bat. He's not really walking, not really getting on base in a super high clip. So he wouldn't be necessarily a, per- a perfect guy for a leadoff spot either in the past. I've actually argued that Nick Markakis would be more than more of what you'd want in that spot than either one of those guys. But at at, at the same point, uh, Markakis has been out of his mind this year, uh, even from a power standpoint. So I think traditionally Markakis' on base percentage and the way that he's been a uh, sort of a singles walks kind of hitter would be actually profiling better in the leadoff spot. But uh, because he's been so good lately, we can move on to him. Actually, have, we, have, we have several questions about Markakis. But going back to one last thing on Ender, I think it wouldn't be crazy to hit him lead off against right-handed pitching. I would disagree with it, but against lefties, he should never hit lead off. He's probably hit you know seventh or eighth at the very highest and obviously snicker made the comments this week that he was uncomfortable hitting the pitcher eighth and and ender ninth even though that actually the Braves had a lot of success with that with that alignment they average they average almost six runs a game in that small sample but uh, obviously snicker was never going to be uh fully on board with that and they've gone back to, to to the traditional lineup and i have no problem with that either but i think i just think you want uh, your best hitters hitting at the top of the lineup and ender's probably not on that list right now uh, moving on to Marquecas, who again has been absurd. We talked about that last week on the podcast, um, but worth noting that he's been just fantastic. And Michael Henshaw, good friend of the program, asks, uh, "What do you think prompted Marquecas' seeming sw- seemingly swing, uh, seemingly change in his swing?" Did this come from Alex Anthopoulos, or is it just a contract year adjustment from the player? Uh, just so we know here, uh, entering Sunday, Marquez had a career high by a lot by a large margin with a 12.5 degree launch angle. He actually had an 8.6 degree launch angle last year. That's a huge difference, and was never higher than 10.8 degrees in the Statcast era. Basically, he's just um, has much more of an upward, uh, sort of more of an uppercut. That's sort of the. Uh, way that you would say it in this uh, in very very plain English there but uh, also his hard hit rate is also sky high 36% coming into Sunday it's the high, highest of his career his ground ball rate is less than 39% that's the lowest of his career there as well and a 29 a 29% line drive rate which is also the highest he's been you know basically fantastic in every way his exit velocity is actually not so much different than his previous norms so it's basically all driven by the fact that he's hitting the ball at, at a higher launch angle than ever he does have his highest BABIP so far since 20 since 2008 when he was uh, obviously fantastic back in Baltimore and wouldn't necessarily be expected with the, with the higher launch angle so that's something that's worth pointing out he may cool off a little bit based on the profile still but he's definitely just he's just a better hitter uh, he's just a, a different and better hitter right now with all the peripherals that he's ever been at least in the Braves uniform and really even most of his Baltimore career as well uh, Mark Higgins' swing, swing change is pretty evident as a result of that I wish um, I could talk to him more about that but it's one of those things where Markakis is just a different hitter right now, and uh, the numbers tell the story there. Um, currently, his numbers for the season are is, is a 163 WRC plus with a 344, 416, 541 slugging, and o- an OPS over 950, which is just wild to consider. In the three seasons before that, in an Atlanta uniform, he had a, a 100 WRC plus, so right at league average as a hitter, 280, 357, and a 386 um, slugging percentage. So, uh, you know, a a 155 point jump in slugging percentage is pretty crazy. And actually, the last two years after his uh, pretty 
pretty decent start in 2015 with the Braves. The last two years, a 97 WRC plus, which is slightly below average, with a 350 on base percentage. So it's basically all buoyed by the fact that he's uh, been good at good, been good at hitting singles and taking walks. But uh, that, this guy's just just very very different right now. Uh, back to the original question, I'd be surprised if it was solely a contract year adjustment for Marquez. I think uh, uh, somewhere along the way, you would imagine that Marquez was presented with some sort of data from the front office or for an Anthopolis or someone um, and uh, was basically swayed to tweak his approach as a result of that. You have to credit the player, though, and credit to Mark Higgins for, for willingness to, and, uh, to implement that and being able to do it, honestly, because uh, it's at least conceivable that it was actually his idea. He's a pretty smart player by all counts and a good clubhouse guy, so you want to assume the best there and that he was uh, sort of on board with this all the way. But my, my, my guess would be, and this is definitely a guess, I mean, this is not source, but my guess would be somewhere, some sort of uh, correlation between the two, between uh, probably the front office pointing something out to him and Mark Higgins buying into his credit and changing some stuff with his swing and his approach. So, uh, shouts to Marquez on that, and I think uh, you know we don't we, we won't know unless he's uh, asked and says something about the way that, that 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 all went down. But for now, he definitely has changed, and it's one of those things where it's probably not sustainable to this degree. But at the same time, um, I'm not expecting him to necessarily crater either back to the back to the guy he was previously because uh, his current approach and his current launch angle and all that fun stuff are different to the point where you know famously making fun of his lack of power the last few years um, probably isn't going to be the case anymore. I don't think he's going to slug 540 the rest of the season, the rest of the season, but he may not slug 380. Six either, and that's a very good player. If he, if, he, if Marquez is still drawing walks and the way that he's always done that, um, and frankly getting on base in the way the, the way that he always has, if that guy's suddenly slugging, you know, four even four thirty, four forty, that's a very very good player in a lot of ways. So shouts to Marquez for making the, all that change. Um, one more additional question on Marquez, and that it comes from Joe on Twitter, and he asks Marquez if this if this continues, could it, could there be a contract extension attempt on the part of the Braves? I'm not sure how uh, Anthopoulos feels, honestly, about Marquegas, just because he wasn't the one that signed him. Uh, there was a lot of buzz uh, early on in the season, or even on the, in the offseason, that he could look to trade Marquegas in the middle of the season for obvious reasons, and I'm not sure Anthopoulos necessarily buys into this being sustainable, but at the same time, uh, he'll be 35 shortly after the season ends, so going into the offseason, he'll be 35 years old. That doesn't um, make him a perfect extension candidate for that reason. Maybe you, uh, you've you seen the Braves, albeit not under Anthopoulos, you've seen the Braves do these like sort of quick one- or two-year extensions, uh, famously Jim Johnson, Tyler Flowers, um, not Flowers, well, Flowers was an option, but the Jim Johnson extension was out there. I think it's at least conceivable that the Braves would tack on a year, baby, if they can get Marquez to buy in. But also, they could let him go go into the offseason um, as a priority, maybe on a one- or two-year deal. If he's still this good the rest of the season, you maybe have to pay more for him at that point in time. But at the same time, you know he's uh, he probably has some sort of loyalty to the organization after four years, and uh, maybe you would uh, see what that, what, that, what that works there. I think it's still a, sort of a bizarre world that we're talking about this, but at the same time, he's been so good that uh, it can't be completely written off. I think if the Braves cool off and they don't feel like a legit playoff team, for instance, if they go in through a swoon in, in May or June or July, you could see him traded and sort of a sell-high move at the same time. I don't think that's necessarily going to happen. I don't think the Braves necessarily are a playoff team, definitely, but they're going to be in the mix here and probably through the All-Star break. So it makes it very difficult to uh, look at him as a trade candidate. And uh, with that said, that brings an extension um, back into the range of, of potential outcomes. I think it might be more likely, though, that they go into the offseason and just bring him back on a short-term deal than it would be to actually extend him. But um, I'm prepared for anything at this point because that's how good he's been over the last you know uh, month and a half. Uh, moving on, uh, next question comes from BravesFan299 on Twitter, and he asks, um, do you guys think um, Brandon McCarthy is a trade candidate in the next month or two? He will improve a bit in the next um, few starts, but there's no spot in the rotation for him long term. 
Uh, McCarthy obviously has not been great lately. He turns 35 in July, but he is allowing a 362 BABIP, which is the highest of his career, and an absolutely comical 25% home run to fly ball rate. So he's been pretty unlucky there. With that said, he is getting, he is, he is getting hit hard, so it's not all luck by any stretch of the imagination. His walk rate's up as well to 3.35 per nine innings this season. I've always thought he was going to be a trade candidate. Um, a lot of that was just because of the fact that uh, he's a injury-prone guy, and you know he's usually been good when he's not injured, but this, this season's probably been an exception to that. His ERA is over five at this point, but I would not um, necessarily be trying to dump him uh, for nothing right now because... You know, worst case scenario, he's still this bad, and you have to uh, sort of you know cut ties in a different way other than trade. You might you might have to DFA him if he just falls apart. But I think it's at least conceivable that McCarthy gets healthy, gives you a couple good starts, helps the team, um, and then if you want to trade him later to to create a spot for Johara or Colby Allard or whoever else, you can probably do that later on. And if you know again, worst case scenario, you just have to cut the guy. He's not signed long term. It's it's totally fine if you, if you have to move on. I do think. Um, you know, with Soroka looking, looking like he's actually a major leaguer already right now, you have Johara as an option. You have Colby Allard. You have a couple of guys, uh, younger guys in the, in the uh, as options in the rotation if you needed them. Um, there's no is no necessarily urgency to uh, hold on to McCarthy, but I think from right now it would take some more struggles for me to remove him from the from the rotation altogether, just because uh, you have the guy, you're paying him, and hopefully you get, you can recoup some value uh, via trade later on in the season. But the Braves also need him to be decent and actually to extract any value. So a lot of it's going to depend on how McCarthy pitches over the next. Next uh, handful of starts here. If he's as bad as he was the other night, um, that could be a pretty short stint. But uh, I, I have some faith in McCarthy when he's healthy to be a better pitcher than that. So we'll keep an eye on him moving forward. The next question comes from Patrick Mollett on Twitter. And he asks, depending on who you ask, um, our best catching prospect is, in, is actually in Rome right now. So what options a catcher do the Braves have in form of free agency or a good catcher on a team that will be sellers at the deadline or this winter? Uh, a long way to go here, but Flowers and Suzuki are both hitting free agency this uh, winter, which is very, very interesting. You know, these guys were not supposed to be big-ticket big items. They both, they both perform extremely well at times, and we, probably for the majority of their Braves careers, both of them. But there's some real uncertainty because there isn't that obvious replacement candidate for them internally. Um, they don't have that next guy in the wings that, you know, maybe they do in the future, but not for 2019 necessarily. So it actually wouldn't surprise me if one or both of them even returned for next year because of the fact that the Braves have been, um, um, they've shown some, loyal, showed some loyalty to them. You probably get them on a slightly reduced cost and they are a little bit older, especially Suzuki. Uh, he's been out of his mind uh, on the whole, but you know, he's old enough where the market probably wouldn't be uh, super robust. Flowers, if he's good the rest of the way, would probably be uh, commanding a bigger salary than Suzuki because of age and the fact that he could be around for a little bit longer, but it's also tough to feel what Anthopolis will do because both of the guys were signed by the previous administration, so it's not like you know anything about how Anthopolis approaches the catcher position right now with these two guys, but I, it would be a huge surprise to me if any of the more visible catching prospects in the system were ready for 2019, so you, you could be looking at stop gaps in, on the free agent market, you could be looking at Potential trades. You can be looking for, uh, you know, you know, JP uh, Real Muto has been and JT Real Muto has been uh, involved in a lot of uh, trade speculation in the past. I don't think that's, that's probably a pretty high-profile option. I wouldn't uh, bank on, but uh, a lot of uncertainty. I don't have too many answers for you, frankly, on that. But with both of the guys. Uh, um, you know, expiring at the end of the season. And Flowers has obviously been struggling a little bit with injury and, and performance early in the season. I think I'm hoping, if you're a Braves fan, you definitely want him to bounce back, uh, obviously, for this season. But even uh, moving forward, he might be your, uh, the guy that they prioritize. If he plays well the rest of the season, they might try to sign to another short-term contract. But, uh, you know, a lot of uncertainty, and that uh, doesn't really answer Patrick's question in terms of uh, what's going to be happening next. But uh, 
and it's really tough to answer that until you get into at least September, October, and sort of see what those guys do over a full season. Because right now, you know, Suzuki would be is obviously the better option on the field at the moment, but he's also so old that um, I don't think necessarily he's going to be uh, in, in a huge in huge demand in the offseason. So a lot of moving parts there, and no obvious solutions. So keep an eye on catcher. I know I will be on the podcast. Next question comes from Scott Bridges. This is probably the, the last actual baseball question we'll hit on on the podcast. But with Joey, with Joey Bats, with, with the Joey Bats experiment trending toward failure, this is uh, Scott talking. Um, do you think we see Austin Riley before September? Um, first on Riley, uh, he had a slow start um, in AAA before he hit three, yes, three home runs on Sunday, and uh, that he was, you know, sort of the talk of the town, even even in, uh, even during a Braves victory in Atlanta, well, not in Atlanta, but for the the big league club um, in Miami, um, it was uh, it was a lot of Austin Riley talk on the timeline during the game on Sunday afternoon, and also Colby Allard pitching that same game was absolutely ridiculous, and with eight shutout innings, it was a lot of fun to follow Gwinnett on Sunday, but uh, yeah, the three home runs on uh, on Sunday, definitely uh, sort of uh, inspired this question, inspire a lot of the uh, buzz about Riley right now. I do think he would have to be unimaginably hot between now and then to get to Atlanta before September. I think September is a little bit different in the fact that you're able to expand your roster, all that fun stuff. I, I would be a little bit surprised if uh, Riley arrived before then, but if he's as hot as he's been at times, it wouldn't blow me away just because you know he's not super young. He's not like he's 18, 19 years old. This is a guy who's old enough to be in the major leagues, at least reasonably, now that we've seen you know Acuna. <laughs> And uh, Albies and Soroka be around. They've not been super shy about it, and he's now in AAA, so it's a little bit more conceivable. With that said, I do think you have a lot of options internally on the roster right now between Bautista, Camargo, and even Flaherty to discuss. So we'll uh, talk about them for a little bit here in a second, then we'll come back to Riley. But uh, Bautista's numbers are not great. 67 WRC plus in a small sample so far. His Babbitt's pretty ugly. He is walking a lot, 13.8% a walk rate. It's pretty clear to me that he still has a strong approach. His plate discipline's still there. He's a professional hitter. He's always been a very, very good hitter in this new iteration. But the physical skills might be deteriorating to the point where he's uh, just not able to catch up on a lot of stuff you know it definitely would make sense he's 37 years old and, and there was nobody that was uh super interested in, in signing him in the offseason so I think it could be instructive that he didn't have a whole lot of buzz with that said I had no real issue honestly with the Braves uh signing him and bringing him in they probably moved him a little bit faster my liking but I had no issue with it because of the internal options not being uh super impressive I do understand that Batista made that uh, that highly visible defensive mishap on Saturday night that could have cost them the game but hilariously he came back and homered in the uh, next at bat and uh, sort of uh, at least quieted the talk a little bit at that point. I was always skeptical of Batista, frankly, and I still am. Um, but at the same time, the incumbent options aren't so sexy, in my opinion, that you have to necessarily worry about displacing them, displacing them long term. I'd have a pretty short leash on Batista as a full-time guy. And frankly, we've already been seeing a little bit of momentum towards a potential platoon or at least a semi-platoon at third base once Danzy Swanson comes back um, at the same time. You know, Ryan Flaherty has really cooled off. He has a career 78 WRC plus and almost 1,400 plate appearances. He's just not the guy he was early this season. We kind of all knew this was coming. Anybody that's been paying attention knew that Flaherty wasn't going to keep hitting, and he's been really bad lately. Frankly, also, there's nothing that I've seen that would dissuade me from my uh, long-held belief but Johan Camargo is basically just a utility guy. He might be a very good utility guy, maybe somebody that you would allow to start for a long swat, long swatches, swaths of time, um, as he is right now doing with Dan's, with Dansby on the shelf. But I don't think ideally you want Camargo as a full time third baseman. So uh, those two guys cooling off and not being necessarily fantastic allow for more leeway here with Bautista. I do think Camargo might be the best player, honestly, of the three at the moment on, in a full time capacity. But you don't have to play a guy full time. You, you, you can platoon. You can kind of get creative. I wouldn't be starting Bautista against right. 
right-handed pitching once Dansby comes back, frankly. Um, but if you uh, platoon him and Camargo and you know throw Flaherty in there every once in a while against a right-handed pitcher, it's not the craziest thing in the world. And I think um, you know there was no reason um, to necessarily cut bait on Batista. I saw a lot of people sort of calling for him to be DFA'd. I wouldn't be doing that right now, frankly. Um, you know, worst case, I think he could be a semi-competent bench bat for you, um, and uh, you probably needed a right-handed version of Preston Tucker in that way. So I wouldn't necessarily play him. But you know, the bat the bat has not been great early on. But I think we we, we just def- we've not seen enough to uh, decide that Batista can't hit. Uh, the fielding is a question uh, to be sure, and that's why I wouldn't be playing him regularly at third base. But um, we'll see in the future. But I you know, in terms of Riley and uh, him arriving, I don't think it's going to be. Uh, I think he'll probably dictate that if he's as good as he could be and has been. If if he just kills for the next two or three months, you could see him later in the summer potentially, just because there's nobody that's be standing in his way to block him, quote unquote. Um, at the same time, we're going to see a little bit. We need to, need to see a little bit more from Riley at AAA. I think um, for Anthopoulos, who has said famously that he's not going to be super duper aggressive at promoting guys. Uh, you know, Acuna was always going to be coming up, and Albies was obviously already here. And Soroka is just so established and polished that he's uh, sort of not a normal. Uh, prospect, a prospect of his own ilk, but if Riley just murders the ball, we'll definitely see him earlier than la- earlier rather than later, and that that would surprise me based on a year ago. But based on right now, he's just killing the ball so much that it would not blow me blow me or anyone away if he arrived a little bit earlier than scheduled. Even if I would not predict him to arrive until late September, if I was uh, given true serum at this point in time. Uh, last question on the podcast, a little bit um, of a non-baseball question, but it comes from uh, at FS, FSUATL on Twitter, and he asks, what if the Falcons and Georgia Bulldogs losing were sacrifices for the Braves to win the 2018 World Series? Um, that's pretty funny in a lot of ways, obviously. It's definitely a lot of question to end on. And those who follow me would know that I'm not a huge uh, UGA sports fan. I'm not, super, I'm, not, I'm not super anti-UGA either, but at the same time, I'm, not a, I'm definitely not a UGA sports fan. I grew up in Atlanta as a Michigan fan, so my, uh, my, my incumbent reaction Action was to sort of push UGA away in a lot of ways. So uh, sue me for that. I'm sorry if you're if you're a UGA fan. Uh, not never been a UGA guy. So that, that's my uh, little preamble there, just to say that I can't necessarily identify in full with that. But there's obviously a massive crossover between Braves fans and UGA fans, especially in and around Atlanta. That's not news to anybody. And obviously, you know, the UGA football fan base is absolutely massive in the state. I know this is meant to be in jest, obviously, the question, um, but whatever works, I guess. Uh, I do know that, that, that the 28-3 final score as a Falcons fan will haunt me till the end of days, frankly. And uh, if you are a Falcons and UGA crossover fan, I am uh, very, very sorry that the last two title game losses that you have uh, are, have been have come in brutal fashion. I was in the building for that UGA loss uh, covering the game um, as, a, as, a, as a neutral observer, but I was uh, near enough to enough UGA fans and have uh, close friends that are UGA fans to know how much that one hurt and just the circumstances around that and having the halftime lead right after a Falcons uh, implosion in, in, uh, in high fashion. So uh, hopefully, um, you know, if you are one, if you're one of those people that buy into karma, hopefully the uh, the Atlanta sports fan or the Georgia sports fan has uh, given enough karma to uh, to lend itself to some brave success in the future. It may not be 2018, frankly, but if you can avoid the fetal position, uh, that'd be very, very nice. I, I'd almost rather the Braves um, sort of uh, have this awesome stretch, um, improve, and then just exit gracefully rather than actually uh, having some like so, sort of soul crunching playoff loss because you know if you've been a, a Braves fan for a while we have a lot a very very long list of uh, soul crushing playoff losses so if this team would not add to that I'd be okay with that because you know 2018 was never, was never supposed to be quote unquote the year 2019 and beyond are supposed to be that so they can just be uh, be good this year and um, you know avoid uh, heartbreak that'd be very nice for me but 2018 World Series listen if you were if you just didn't know about this team at all and just saw the only the stats from the early part of the season the run differential all that stuff you would think this is team is actually a World Series contender I would tell you they probably aren't that but 
weird, weird things happen in baseball. And if you want to be optimistic, I'm cool with that. I uh, would not predict that by any stretch of the imagination. But um, if you uh, feel like your sins have been paid for by UGA and uh, the Falcons or even the Hawks, or if you just, you know, all your teams, I know as a, as a Hawks, uh, somebody who covers the Hawks for a long time, they've been brutal. And uh, obviously, you know, the Falcons speak for themselves as, uh, you know, arguably, I would argue the worst uh, single game loss in the history of sports. So, uh, yeah, there you go on, on that front. We'll end there. But I really appreciate everyone listening to the podcast. I, uh, if you listen to the end of this podcast, just with my voice, uh, credit to you for uh, battling through. And I promise I'll, ha- I'll have a guest on the next show. And uh, we'll never do another 35-minute mailbag, hopefully. Uh, you know, and, and I really appreciate everybody listening to the pod. Please subscribe. I, we, 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 it's definitely huge for us if you want to subscribe to the podcast. Leave some five-star feedback. Tell your friends. Um, do all that fun stuff. And we'll see you guys next week, I promise, with a guest. And we'll see you guys then.